Welcome to our podcast examining trusts for minors, spouses, and charity. Professor Chris Worley, good to be with you again as we're rounding into the home stretch. Let me overview what we're doing in this podcast. We're going to examine the role of trusts in providing support for children, especially minor children, for your spouse, and for the philanthropic, another family member, charity. You'll often hear donors say, I regard the ABC charity, it's just like family. So we'll look at some of uh, the trust techniques that could be of use. Let's first go to the uh, page 42 in book six, exhibit five, entitled Irrevocable Minor Trust. I want to hit just the highlights. Let's do a comparison and contrast between uh, the 2503 B and C trust. What are the big similarities? What are the big differentiators? The first uh, big similarity is both qualify for an annual exclusion. We'll see uh, uh, why that is in a minute. Well, then also talk about what the nature of the income and principal. Uh, must it be distributed? When might it be available? So in the case of the uh, 2503B trust, that's a mandatory income trust. Income must be distributed. So the trust itself doesn't pay tax. The beneficiary uh, pays tax. And if the beneficiary is a minor, of course, it's governed by the kitty tax rules. And the 2503B trust allows for customization so that there is no need for the distribution of principal when the minor reaches the age of majority. Contrast that with the 2503C trust. Here, the uh, distribution of income is entirely discretionary, but that comes at a cost. It comes at a cost at the funds must be distributed at the age of majority, age 21. And should the minor die before reaching majority, it's part of the estate of the minor. Then there's a Another type of trust, often involving minors, although it can be adults, adult children, it's a crummy trust. You'll see this as part of language in a well-drafted islet, an irrevocable life insurance trust. Here, you give the beneficiary the right to withdraw for a very limited period of time, typically 30 days. That creates the present interest that permits an annual exclusion. The creator of the trust is typically making contributions to the trust with the goal that it be used for the payment of the premiums on the policy now owned by the trust. So because it, uh, you have the crummy power, that's deemed to be of present interest. Typically, uh, the beneficiary is permitted to withdraw the smaller of the amount that's a, the available annual exclusion or the value of the property actually distributed to it. 
let's now, uh, so this chart again is at page 42. Let's now uh, jump to Exhibit 10, the Charitable Remainder Trust. That uh, Exhibit 10 on Charitable Remainder Trust can be found at page 91. Let's focus on the similarities among the CRAT, the CRUT, and the PIF, the Pooled Income Fund. Funds are irrevocably committed to a trust. The uh, the grantor cannot get the funds back. And then at the end of a period of time, typically measuring lives, what's left over goes to the benefit of the charitable remainder. Uh, uh, while the uh, benef beneficiaries of the income are alive, alive they could re receive a payment. The income beneficiary could be the original funder, could be wife, could be wife and husband, it could be children, it could be grandchildren. There's no restriction on who could receive the income. Now, the nature of the payment varies. In the case of a CRAT, it's a fixed dollar amount that never changes. The payout range, there's discretion as to what it can be within a range of 5% to 50%. But whatever is initially selected, you are committed to that. You cannot change it. Whereas the uh, CRUT, again, you have the ability to pick a payment uh, rate between 5 and 50%. But whatever you pick, you're, you're committed to it. Now, there you're looking at a changing end of your value, which is the basis for multiplying the fixed rate. So you're going to have variable payments. In the case of a pooled income fund, what is paid out to the income beneficiary is the actual return. And since a PIF is only paying out fiduciary income, generally interest in dividends, since we're in such low interest rate environments, that's not a lot of money. That's why they have typically uh, fallen out of favor in our very low uh, inflationary environment. Of course, that could change because as we uh, produce this podcast, uh, we're in the middle of, of financial distress. And at some point, there will be too many dollars chasing too few goods, creating inflation. Then I want to talk about the last area of using trust to support your uh, spouse. The idea here is effective use of the marital deduction as part of minimizing estate taxes. And even if you have clients without estate tax issues, these types of trusts could be of value to protect the uh, children from prior marriages. You're typically going to be a uh, be seeing this in the context of uh, second or third, second or third marriage, second or third marriages. If you turn to page seventy-two of book six, uh, if you like to reference that for the taking of notes, we're looking at three broad types of trusts. Uh, the A. Trust is 
the power of appointment trust going to the surviving spouse. The B trust is called the credit sheltered trust. Typically, the beneficiary is the surviving spouse. And then C is the Q-tip trust. Now, that's the trust that is going to be set up with the goal of protecting ch uh, children from, the, from a prior marriage. Let's briefly overview each of the three trusts. The idea of the bypass trust is we're going to create a terminable interest trust that does not qualify for the marital deduction at the death of the first spouse, but takes advantage of the decedent's unified credit. This trust permits avoiding overqualifying the decedent's estate for the marital deduction. So, quick example. Let's say that uh, I die, I'm worth $13.58 million. And I decide to give everything to my surviving spouse. At my death, there's no tax. That's a good result. But I've overqualified the uh, marital gift. What I should have done, and what many people do in this situation, is put $11.58 million into the credit shelter trust, the B trust, and then the excess of $2 million, that's in the marital trust. Now, why might I do that? Well, I can design the B trust in such a way that my wife gets the income from it, has access to the trust according to the HEM standard, and then when she dies, none of that is included in her estate. And she still has her own 11.5 million exemption. So that's very efficient uh, tax planning. The Next type of trust is the A trust or the power of appointment trust. Here the R idea is to give the surviving spouse a general power of appointment in the trust, which entitles the decedent's estate to a marital deduction on the value of the trust pro property, since it was going to be included in the estate of the first spouse. And then the final trust is the C-Trust or Q-Tip Trust. Now, the Q-Tip Trust allows the decedent's executor to receive a marital deduction for the lifetime income interest going to the surviving spouse, even though we're going to put terms in the Q-Tip Trust such that the spouse does not have control over the distribution of principal. Now, these trust assets, whatever they are, are going to be includable in the surviving spouse's estate to the extent not consumed. Why would we do this other than creating a federal estate tax marital deduction? You do that to protect the children of your prior marriages. You may think your children are wonderful, maybe mixed up kids, whereas your second spouse thinks her stepchildren are no good nicks. They're of bad seeds. And then I think our best way to wrap up this uh, area is with a 
great uh, problem. So let's say we've got a married couple, Harry and Sally, they've got a very impressive worth of $20 million. And presently, all, all the assets are titled in the name of Harry. So they meet with their financial planner and they reduce the right in what they want to accomplish. They want to give whoever is the surviving spouse lifetime and testamentary control over assets that could be professionally managed by a trustee. They both want to fully utilize their unified credits. And they'd like to minimize the total estate tax liability from their combined estates. So what would be some of the techniques to do this? Well, I think the first thing that should jump out at you is you need to equalize estates. So Randy should be transferring 10 million to Janet. That qualifies for an unlimited gift marital deduction, so there's no tax. We want to have bypass trust, the B trust for each spouse. That'll effectively use each of their unified credits. And then we're going to give this, uh, whoever is the surviving spouse in the A trust a power of appointment so that they meet the objective of lifetime and testamentary control over the assets. So on these facts, no, the Q-tip was not appropriate. It was, it was not appropriate because it didn't permit the surviving spouse to have testamentary control of the disposition of the asset. So I think we're now at the point of concluding. Oh, we're going to then go to our final uh, podcast talking about estate planning for non-traditional couples. Thank you.